for them. Hebrews chapter 12, once you found that, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to begin in verse number 4, and then we'll read down several verses here by way of introduction, and then we'll jump into the message here, the Bible study here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. If I could stop there, what that verse means is, no one here has had to shed any blood over a battle, personal battle against sin, the way Jesus did. All right, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are all our partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Look at verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Listen, to be a child of God is to be chastised. To be a child of God is at times to be punished by God. Uh, We're going to see that tonight, that by default, if you're saved, there are going to be times where you suffer punishment. If you've never been punished by God, then you better stop and ask yourself if you really are even saved. The title of the Bible study here this week and definitely next week, we'll see if we get through this in two weeks, maybe three, but the title of the Bible study is this, A Proper Perspective on Punishment. A proper perspective on punishment. Not a topic we like to talk about. Nobody likes to talk about getting punished. But it's oh, a very important topic to talk about. Let's pray together. Lord, would you take uh, these verses over the next few minutes, help us to better understand them, and Lord, help us to be aware of your working in our life. And Lord, knowing that it's always for the good. You're trying to work about the good in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, six Wednesday evenings ago, I brought a uh, message. I would, wouldn't call it a Bible study. It was more of a fiery sermon entitled, Are You Running Your Race? We looked at the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 4. In fact, uh, let's go back up and look at those again. Look at this. Look at the first four verses. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such 
contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. We talked about how many Christians are sitting on the sideline. They're not doing what God created them to do. They're not doing what God called them to do. Now, when I say created uh, them to do, I'm not talking about created at birth. I'm talking about created at the second birth. If I could uh, just quickly interject, what does it mean to be a child of God? There are a few groups of people in the Bible that are called the sons of God. Adam is called the Son of God. The angels are called the sons of God. Jesus is called the only begotten Son of God. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, those that believe on Jesus are called the sons of God. Now, that does not mean that we're brothers with angels. That does not mean that we're necessarily brothers with Adam. What does it mean to be a son of God or a child of God? What that means is that God directly made you. God directly made you. Why was Adam called the son of God? Because God reached down and formed Adam with his hands. He formed him out of the dust. Why are the angels called the sons of God? Because God directly created uh, uh, Adam, or rather the angels. He directly created them. Why is Jesus called the Son of God? Because He was put in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. Why are we called the children of God? By the way, just because you are breathing air in and out of your lungs does not make you a son of God or a child of God. There are many, many people in the world today walking this earth. In fact, the large majority of people walking this earth today, they are God's creation, but they are not God's children. When do we become the children of God? When we are made anew in Christ. You see, indirectly, indirectly, God formed you. But directly, God forms you spiritually when you get saved. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, We are made a new creature, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. When we're made anew in Christ, we are given a course to run. Now, I want to ask you a question this evening. Are you running your race? Are you running your race? You see, many people run, and then they fall, and they don't get back up. They, they pick themselves up and dust themselves off and scoot over the sideline, and they're content to just sit and coast through life. Don't do that, Christian. Don't do that, Christian. Um, uh, God, so let, let me jump in here to the outline tonight, and we're going to get to the punishment uh, uh, portion of the message here in a minute, but let me give you a recap of the Bible study from six weeks ago here, just to get us caught up, okay? If you have an, uh, an outline there to fill out, notice point number one, God's plan. God's plan. What is God's plan? God's plan, Christian, is for you to be like Jesus. For you to be like Jesus. There's a song that was popular and sung in churches when I was a boy. It was entitled, To Be Like Jesus. To be like the one I love in everything. To be like Him. How many of you here know that song? I don't know if any of you know that song. Maybe if I sung it, some of you would recognize it. But I remember as a boy, my mom would play that in our house over a CD player or may have been a tape player, who knows, it may have even been an old record player. But uh, it, she'd play that song, and boy, the, the, the hair on the back of my neck would stand up, and uh, I would even sometimes feel tears welling up in my eyes, and I would say, Lord, I just want to be like you, to be like Jesus. 
What has God made us to be? What is God's plan? Our plan, His plan for us, is to be like Jesus. We've been put on a course to run. We're to run our race. And along that path, we're to become like Jesus. Quickly here, letter A, notice our encouragement. Our encouragement. Look at, uh, look at verse 1 again of Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses... Who is this great cloud of witnesses? We'll go back to the first word of the verse. Wherefore? Wherefore? What is the wherefore? Well, we, we studied Hebrews chapter 11. And if you remember, we went through all of the people who are in the quote-unquote hall of faith. All of the people who lived their life by faith, they got to heaven and they heard, Well done, thou good and Faithful servant. Uh, uh, and, and these people make up a cloud of witnesses. They're cheerleaders. They're our encouragers. I think, uh, when I think about this crowd, I think about my sweet grandmother, my mother's mother, who well into her 80s was still taking young ladies out in their 20s and 30s and teaching them how to lead souls to Christ. She was running uh, luncheons for people who uh, had passed away and there'd be a luncheon after the funeral. She would direct that and oversee that. She ran 4-H clubs out of her basement teaching girls how to sew and how to cook and taught a home ec class in the Christian school. And My grandmother uh, was a godly example and she's in heaven today and I believe right now she's up in heaven and she's looking down at me and she's encouraging she's an encouragement to me knowing that she's there cheering for me to do what's right let her be notice our exhortation our exhortation now this is all uh, set up to the message this evening let's look back at verse one wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside here's what we're called to do let us lay aside every weight every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We are to set aside, lay aside the weight and the sin which would detract us, which would slow us down, which would prevent us, which would trip us up along our race. Now, what is the difference between a weight and a sin? A weight and a sin. Well, a sin is something that we know is just wrong. Can you really run your race if you're drunk? Nope. That's why the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We're not to be drunk with wine. Uh, can you really run your race if you're living your life uh, for yourself? And like we talked about during the stewardship series, you're building your own kingdom instead of being focused on God's kingdom. You're self-centered instead of Savior-centered. Can you really, really run your race? You can't. You can't. Instead, you have to give your heart to serving the Lord. So we set aside those things that are obvious, their sins. But if we're really going to run our race then, boy, we better also make sure uh, that we're setting aside those weights. And I've gone over it in this aspect in the past. There's the principle of prohibition. What is the principle of prohibition? Where the Bible says it's sin, then I won't do it at all. Then the principle of moderation. Where the Bible says it's okay, boy, I better keep it in moderation. Is it a sin to eat? No, you better eat or you'll die. But we better do that in moderation. Amen? Amen? Better not let gluttony get, get the best of us. Is it, is it a sin to sleep? Absolutely, you better sleep or you're not going to be worth anything. But is it a sin to oversleep? 
That's where we become sluggish. Right? Is it a sin to drink coffee? It is not a sin to drink coffee. Is it a sin to overdo on caffeine? Absolutely. Boy, we better be moderate in our approach. And those weights, those weights, those things that... uh, Let me ask you another one. Is it a sin to watch sports? I would say it's not. There are sports references in the Bible. But, you know, some people are just obsessed with sports. They eat, drink, live, sleep sports. Boy, uh, they hardly can pay attention during the church service because they're checking sports scores on their phone. And it's sports, 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 sports. And I've been there at one point or another in my life. But can I tell you that that is a weight that, that, that can beset us, that can keep us from running our race. Hey, what is Paul trying to say here? Or the author of Hebrews is trying to say here. He's trying to say this. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Where sin would trip you up, set sin to the side. Where uh, something that's non-sinful would trip you up, treat it the same as sin, put it to the side, and run your race. That is the encouragement of the passage. Notice letter C, our example. Our example. Now, who is the ultimate example of knowing the course and finishing the race? It's Jesus. Jesus. Nobody did it better than Jesus. Nobody will ever do it better than Jesus. Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, boy, he's the ultimate example. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, notice the terminology here, the race terminology here, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. These are the hurdles he had to jump over, he had to leap over, uh, uh, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished his race. For consider him, Jesus, that endured such great or such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and Faint in your minds. By the way, by the way, we lose the battle in our minds well before we lose it uh, uh, physically. We lose it mentally before we lose it physically. Sometimes I like to, when I'm in the pool with my kids, say, let's have a contest to see who can hold their breath underwater the longest. You know what I found is that I can hold my breath above water a lot longer than I can underwater. You know why? It's all mental. I can hold my breath the same above and below water. But for some reason, when I have water involved, mentally I give up a lot faster. You all with me? You all with me? We lose mentally before we lose physically. And the Bible says here, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Many, many Christians give up their race because the Satan wins the battle in their mind. And the mind is a tricky thing because you can get all dressed up and come to church and physically look the part, but mentally be a total disaster. And nobody would know. You let Satan win the battle up here long enough, I promise you, you'll drop out of church. You let Satan win the battle long enough up here, I promise you, you'll quit reading your Bible. I promise you, you'll quit praying. I promise you, you'll quit sharing your faith. I promise you, you'll quit being uh, running the race God's called you to run. Boy, you must give the Lord your mind, and if you'll win the battle mentally, then you'll win the battle physically and spiritually. Verse number 4. Yet ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now again, the, uh, the, the point here is our example. God's plan is for us to each finish our course. 
each run the race. Listen, I, I picture that tape, right, that they cross and they break, and uh, the person who, uh, who comes in first place, uh, my, my children are going to a Christian school, and they had a guest speaker preach to them in chapel, and uh, he's a missionary to India. His name is Matthew Gerber. Some of you may know him. He's been here a couple of times in a church service. Matthew Gerber uh, was involved in a super marathon that was 100 miles long, and he did it in 24 hours, nonstop. And um, I believe he finished in either first place or first place for his age category or whatever it would have been. Can you imagine running or walking for 24 straight hours, going 100 miles? Now, if this is inaccurate, I blame my children. Amen? Uh, but that's wild. I, I picture that, crossing that finish line. Nobody did it better than Jesus. And you know what? His striving against sin required the shedding of his own blood. And here he's saying, if Jesus can stay the course, even if it requires his blood being shed, then you can cross your finish line. Now here's the beauty. My finish line is different than your finish line. You're not racing against me, and I'm not racing against you. Boy, I got a head start. I started when I was four years old. Really, I started at birth when my parents took me to church. How many of you got saved after the age of 18? Would you hold up your hand if you got saved after the age of 18? You got a little bit later start than I did. You know what? It's a good thing that I'm not racing you and you're not racing me. Some of you are going to out, out, some of you are going to lap me even though I got a young start. But don't compare yourself to me and I'm not going to compare myself to you. God's called you to a race. You run your race. Don't you ever, ever, ever look at the pastor or look at a brother or sister in the church or a deacon or a church leader and think, oh man, if I was just as polished as them or if I had it all together like they did, boy, I'd be something great for God. Oh no, don't make that mistake. The Bible tells us that when we compare ourselves among ourselves, that's not wise. That's not wise. Don't put your eyes on brother such and such or sister such and such. Put your eyes on Jesus and you run your place. Uh, you run your race. You understand that God's plan for you is singular. You figure out what it is. You set aside the sin. You set aside the weights. And you run your race. Number one, God's plan. Number two, number two. Now we get into the meat of the Bible study for tonight. All that was review from six weeks ago and meant to lay the foundation and set the groundwork. Notice number two, our punishment. Our punishment. Now, nobody likes to talk about getting punished. I remember the day I got my last spanking as a boy. You say, well, Pastor, how old were you when you got your last spanking? I was 18 years old. 18. Now, that's pretty old. And i got to tell you, my dad wore me flat out. Um, he drew tears. And I was 18. Uh, he got a paddle, and he bent me over his knee, and he just wore me out. Now, I'm not advocating spanking an 18-year-old. I'm not here to tell you that you ought to do that. I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just telling you that that's what my dad did. Can I tell you, I was glad to go off to Bible college, because that meant I wasn't getting any more spankings. Amen? I left a few months after that spanking, and uh, I thought, he will never spank me again. And he didn't. And he didn't. Um, 
But can I tell you that God has stepped up and in his own way, he has, quote unquote, spanked me. I remember when my children were little. One of them looked at me and said, Dad, who punishes you when you do wrong? And I smiled and I said, God does. And they said, well, does he spank you? And I said, in his own way, he does. And I said, by the way, I'd rather have your spanking than the one I get from God. You know, my children's spankings, they sting the backside for a few minutes. God's spankings oftentimes involve health or finances. How many of you found that to be true? I'd rather be stung on the backside than lose money. I'd rather be stung on the backside than laid flat on my back in a bed. Amen? Um, Being punished is just part of being God's child. And someone thinks, well, but pastor, I don't want to be punished. Well, I think when I lay this out for you tonight, you'll be glad that God punishes. All right? Let's look at this here. Letter A, notice God's spirit in punishment. God's spirit in punishment. Let's look at some scripture tonight. Let's look at verse 5 here. It says, and I love the way the author of Hebrews goes about this, and ye have forgotten. Ye have forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. What's the Bible say here? That God does punish us, but look back at verse 5. It says, whom the Lord loveth, whom, or rather verse 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. What is God's spirit when he punishes us? It's always done out of love. Always done out of love. I'm not going to have anybody raise their hand this evening, but I wonder how many of you grew up in a home where you were punished by a parent who was angry when they did the punishing. Boy, many, many people grow up in that environment. A mom or dad who just flies off the handle and punishes in an angry, temperous rage. No parent's perfect, and every parent at some time or another has made that mistake. But for some homes, that's just the culture. It's just the culture. Uh, Here's how many homes work. Uh, Parents have very little control over the home. And the child does something wrong, and the parents say, knock it off. The child does it again. Knock it off. The child does it again. I said, knock it off. Again. I said, knock it off. Again. I said, knock it off. Go to your room. You are in big trouble. And the child cowers in fear and goes to their room. The parent comes in with a paddle, and man, he's swinging. And some parents don't spank, but they use their tongue, and they lash, and they tear apart, and they name call, and they hurt, and they tear down. Boy, that's not God's spirit and punishment. God does it in love. I remember uh, when Matthew was just a, a small guy. He was probably two years old, three years old. I had him in the bathroom. And 
he, we were washing his hands. So I'm helping him, you know, like you have a little kid. And he reaches up and he puts his hand on the spigot. And water sprays all over the, 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 the mirror and on the floor and gets on me. And I looked at him and I said, looked him right, I said, look at me in the eye. I said, don't you ever do that again. That little jerk. He looked at me and he smiled. And he put his hand right back up there. And the water angled in a way and it hit me right in the eyeball. And man, my brains hit the roof. I went from a no anger to a ten. I was like someone pushed a... How many of you have seen that movie where the emotions, the, the Pixar movie with the emotions that, you know, it, it's all about... But anyway, it was like the lever got pushed in my head and the rage monster came out and boy, I lost my mind on him. And I looked at him and I just... Huh, huh, and I wanted to pick him up and just throw him across the room. No, I didn't. I didn't touch him. But I remember I let him have it. I didn't call him any names. I let him have it. And I sent him out, and I said to Angela, I said, I can't spank him right now. If I were to spank him, I'd abuse him. I'd beat him. I'd hurt him. And so I sent him out, and I didn't lay a hand on him. I wish I could say that I've never, ever, ever punished in anger. Well, I haven't done it very often, but I've done it. Can I tell you this, that we oftentimes get our opinion of God's parental style from our parents' parental style. And I'm here to tell you right now, God never, please listen, He never punishes us out of anger. Never. Even if God were to punish us out of anger, deep-seated beneath the anger is a spirit of love. A spirit of love. Uh, what, what, what is Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 referencing? Look back at verse 5. And ye have forgotten. Well, what did these... Hebrews forget. Turn back to Proverbs chapter number 3. This is what they had forgotten. You see, this wasn't the first time that the Hebrew people, the Jews, had heard this truth about God punishing uh, out, of, uh, out, of, out of love. Look at Proverbs chapter number 3 and look at verse number 11. I'll begin reading. It says, I have... Uh, rather, I'm in four. Okay, three says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. So, we see that God punishes out of love. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter number 10. Isaiah, Jeremiah, all right? And because of time, when I get there, I'm just going to start reading. Jeremiah chapter 10, and look with me at verse number 24. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse number 24, the Bible says, O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. You say, can, I, can you give me some evidence that God does not punish out of anger? Here's proof that God does not punish out of anger. If he did, you would be dead. Why? Because he's powerful. He's powerful. He could turn us into nothing, Jeremiah says. When God punishes us, His intent is not to hurt us, it's to help us. You all catch that? When God punishes us, His intent is not to hurt us, it's to help us. Letter B, notice the severity of our punishment. The severity of our punishment. 
Go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse 5. Notice the language here. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you, uh, unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art, notice the word, rebuked, chastening, rebuked of him. Look here, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And then here's the strongest word, and scourgeth, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, what does that word chasten mean? Interestingly enough, the Greek word used for chastening here is used in full, is translated in, as four different words in our English Bible, and one of them is the word nurture. Nurture. Turn back to Ephesians chapter number six. Ephesians chapter number six, and look at verse number four. And if you're not able to keep up, then just listen while I read. If you can get there with me, go ahead. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the chastisement, or the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, I have to tell you, when I saw that the same word uh, used for chastise in Hebrews 12:5 was the same word as the word nurture in uh, Ephesians 6, I was a little surprised by that. We're getting words like rebuke and scourge out of uh, Hebrews 12, but we're getting the word nurture out of Ephesians 6. And you know what I drew from that? Listen to this. God's chastisement is broad in definition. Sometimes His chastisement is light. Sometimes His chastisement is not painful. Sometimes His chastisement uh, corrects us without hurting us. And then other times, His chastisement is stiff and harsh and hard and it hurts. You know what that tells me? Watch this. The severity of our punishment is to the level that God needs it to be to get our attention. Now, I have a son and a daughter. And I won't say which one, but one is a little bit more hard-headed than the other. One of them needs harsher rebuke than the other. One of my children, if they're doing wrong, I can just look at them with a look of displeasure and the heart is crushed. There's immediate repentance. The other one I give that look and there's almost a smirk back. Like, okay, let's go. Let's go. Game on. One needs a greater severity of punishment than the other. Now, both of my children rarely at this point uh, have severe punishment handed to them. I'm more talking about when they were little. When they were little, boy, one was just tender and, 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 and easily correctable. The other one was a lot harder to correct. You know, it could be, watch this now, watch this. It could be that you are that hard-hearted Christian with God, hard-headed Christian with God. And boy, God's got to, oh, He's got to bring the pain to get your attention. But some of you here, you're walking close with the Lord. Your heart is tender to the Lord. And you take one step out of line. God brings a light punishment your way. And you're so crushed by that, that you step right back in line. And you see, the severity is equal to our spirit. Where we step out of line... God's going to punish, but never more than He absolutely needs to. Never more than He absolutely needs to. The severity. The severity. 
Let's look at a couple more verses here. Turn over to Psalm chapter 94 and verse 12. Psalm is the middle of the Bible, just about. Psalm chapter 94. Verse 12 says this, it says, Blessed is the man whom thou chastisest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. How many of you can remember a time in your life where you went back and you told your mom and your dad, thank you for being tough on me? Anybody here can remember a time like that? Thank you for being tough on me. Um, Not too many of you. Amen. All right, a couple of you. I can remember a time where I climbed in the car with a, a guy who was a psychologist. Psychologist, oh my goodness. This guy was a psychologist. And I asked him my question. I said, what do you think about spanking children? And he said, oh, I think it harms them. Oh, I think it, 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 warps, it warps their personality. He said, oh, I think it has long-term ramifications uh, uh, for a child as it pertains to a relationship uh, with a parent. And I think a child that is spanked will have a hard time having depth of relationship with that parent when they get older. And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, well, I guess I'm the exception to the rule. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, boy, I turned 21, 22, 23, and I got on the phone with my mom and my dad, and I said, thank you for spanking me. I said, boy, I've got a great relationship with my mom and my dad, and I deeply love them. You know what? It took me a little while, but I got to a place where I appreciated a mom and dad who stood up to my sin, who stood up to my wrongdoing, who said, I'm not going to let you get away with that. I'm going to punish you to show you that it's wrong. You know, it's a, listen, it's a happy day when you're able to both recognize God's hand of punishment in your life and thank Him for it. Thank Him for it. The severity of our punishment. Let her see. Notice this. Notice the significance of our punishment. The significance of our punishment. Look back at verse 7 and 8 of our passage. Hebrews chapter 11. Or rather, chapter 12. Look at verse 7 and 8. The Bible says, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he, he whom the Father chastiseth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Now that's not a word I walk around using, but hey... It's in the Bible here, and in proper context, there's nothing wrong with it. What is the significance of being punished? The significance of being punished is that it is a sign that you have a father. What is a bastard? A bastard is someone who is born out of wedlock, right? By the pure definition of the word. Now, it's a derogatory term that is slung around today at people, but that's what it means. A child who is born out of wedlock is oftentimes just raised by one parent, and there's a lack of discipline in that home. They don't have punishment in their life. They walk around getting away with whatever they want. There's no restraining of that child. The Bible says here that if you are punished, the significance of that is that means you have a father who cares. A father who cares. 
Can I ask you, Christian, when was the last time you stopped and thanked God for punishing you? Let's look at some more verses here. Turn with me here. We're almost done tonight. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. We'll pick up point 3 next week. I was afraid I was only going to get through two points. I had hoped I'd get through three, but that's okay. Romans chapter 8. And let's look at some verses here. I want to show you that being punished is a sign of having a father. Romans chapter 8, look at verse number 14. You say, well, how is God my Father? Well, we're going to establish that right now. Verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we're God's children by, by adoption. We've been engrafted into the family. We've been adopted. Now let's look at some verses here that show that because we are children, by default we will be punished when we do wrong. Uh, take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Proverbs. And we're going to look at several verses out of the book of Proverbs. And see that this is... Uh, these two are connected together. To be a father is to punish, and uh, to be to punish a child uh, means that you are acting fatherly. Turn over to Proverbs, and uh, let's look at chapter number uh, 13, and I'm going to get there here. Proverbs 13 and verse number 24. Look here. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. What does that mean? That means, listen now, I'm, we're taking the Bible literally. If you are a dad and you don't spank your son, you hate him. That's not my words. That's what the Bible says. If you're not willing to punish wrongdoing in a child, you're not willing to drive it far from him, then you're not doing your fatherly duty. You're not loving your child. Let's look at the next verse, all right? Look at chapter 19 and verse 18, Proverbs chapter 19, and let's look at verse number 18. It says, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. A child cries, Oh, I don't want to get a spanking. I don't want to be in trouble. Oh, please don't spank me. I remember when I was a boy and I knew I was getting a spanking. I get sent to my room and my, my cry, I was probably seven, eight years old. My cry was, Mommy, Mommy. I would just cry Mommy for 20, 30 straight minutes. Why? Because I knew my mom was more compassionate. And I, what I was saying was, Mom, stop Dad from spanking me. Mom, keep it from happening. Mom, Mom, save me from Dad. You know what? Mom had no chance of stopping Dad. Dad had his mind made up. Boy, I was going to get it. And the Bible says here in chapter 19, uh, verse 18, don't spare for his crying. Listen, don't let the tears be the facade that keep you from doing your job. Uh, I, I, my dad would say, boy, you better dry up those tears or I'll give you something to cry about. Amen? Let's look at the next verse, chapter 22 and verse 15. Chapter 22, verse 15. I want to show you that this isn't just some anomaly in Scripture. This is found over and over and over again. Chapter 22, verse, verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Why do we spank our children? Because your child is foolish. Oh, not my child. Oh, yes, your child. I had a mom tell me one time about her first grade daughter. My daughter doesn't know how to lie. I said, boy, you are naive. 
Every child knows how to lie. We're born knowing how to lie. We're born liars. Foolishness. Yes, that includes your child. Is uh, Someone's offended this evening. That's okay. Let the Scripture offend you. Amen? It's bound in the heart of a child. Look at verse 15. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. One more verse. One more verse. Look, we're, again, we're talking about the significance of it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 talked about the scourging. The scourging. That is the beating with a rod. Jesus was scourged before he was killed. And I'm not saying that you flog your child in that manner. But look at chapter 23 verse 13. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Now, that language is really, really coarse. It's really tough. Beating your child with a rod. Uh, I know that, uh, I remember when I was a boy, there was someone that had stole something in another country. And I remember it made National News Center America. And the guy was like tied to a post and he was beaten with a rod. I mean, you remember that story? A cane. He's beaten with a cane. And I mean, it was a big deal in the media, right? Uh, you know what? They don't have a lot of stealing going on in that country. Yeah, because I mean, it's handled publicly. You get beaten with a cane, right? Uh, listen, that's what spanking is. Now watch this, watch this. Let me make an application, and I'm done. It, if God really loves us, then He has no choice but to punish us. You understand that? He does it because He loves us. I know that with my children, when they step out of bounds, I have to at times punish them, but every time I punish them, there is an explanation as to why. There is an admission of guilt on their part, admission of wrongdoing on their part. There's a punishment, and then there's a restoration. And they leave, and they're better off because they were punished. It's always done out of love. And my friend, God may not bend you over his knee and give you a physical spanking, but when God brings hardship in your life, he's looking for admission of wrongdoing, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's looking for us to suffer so we know better next time. And then he wants that reconciliation. The significance of our punishment. What does it mean to be punished by God? It means that we're his children. Amen? We'll pick up there next week and we'll look at point number three. And that is what God's trying to accomplish. I won't give you the alliterated word. You have to come back next week. But what, God, what God's trying to accomplish in this and what the end result is to